everybody. Mike and Andy here, Brea World Headquarters, Vox World Headquarters, I should say, in Brea, California. Um, we are so glad that you are tuning in today. A uh, couple of things real quick. Uh, we're recording this on, what is it, February 27th? Yep. Uh, to be released February 27th. Oh, yeah. So look at that. Same day turnaround. Uh, there was a there was much sickness in the Erie household last week, uh, much barfing and um, and so uh, to record here could have been a, a difficult challenge uh, in the background. So right, I, I am at, at heavy risk sitting in this room. No, you're. Right o- now. I, I think you're okay. I think I you're okay. okay. <laughs> um, yeah, we uh, we we you know slaughtered lambs at twilight. <laughs> and we think the angel of death has passed over. So we're not sure. Oh, that explains the blood on the top of the door. Yeah, exactly. So a um, couple of things. Uh, first of all, we have a live show coming up March 9th at uh, downtown Fullerton, a monkey business cafe. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we're super excited about that. That, soul ha- that, that show has sold out um, in, uh, in a couple of days. So we're yep. thrilled um that you all want to be a part of it yeah and uh and we're we're very grateful we have 97 patreon supporters Mm -hmm. who uh donate um to keep things like this free and so it is totally completely free and free Coors Light for those of you over 21 yep and um and and we have a seven Coors Light limit because we figure that's equivalent (laughs) to two real beers um so so you're more than welcome to come uh will we stream that as well yeah we'll throw it up on facebook live we'll throw it up on facebook he says yep uh but not last week because it would have been literally thrown up on facebook so (laughs) that's true uh so today um and 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 by the way just just so you know uh as always we have two podcasts we have a little church um and we have uh and we we podcast kind of the teachings and the stories out of that um, we finished up on the subject of hell. I'm actually next week going to do a podcast, just kind of summarizing this massive discussion we've had on judgment, mm-hmm. and um, and uh, because of that we have a much larger podcast audience than we do a uh, a church podcast audience, and so we're going to uh, to kind of uh, go over some of that stuff again. But as always, you can find us either at voxoc.com or voxpodcast.com. That's right. And I know I always screw them up. Um, and go ahead. I was just going to say, and even uh, just a special thank you to a few folks uh, that have been saying hi to us at Vox Community that have come in through the podcast and have found found Vox Community through the mm-hmm. podcast. That way, that's been a, a really cool experience for us after after service to. For, for all you guys to come up to us and say that you've been right. listening. And, so there's this little crew in LA that yeah. we want to say hi to that yeah. they, uh, at least uh, one crew in LA, they sit about 10 of them sit and listen to these and Holy cow. Uh, you guys got to get out more, but uh, we're grateful <laughs> that until you do, you're, you're tuning into this. Yeah. So thank you. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's so fun. Mm-hmm. It, I mean, it, we, uh, we are so blessed beyond imagining to be a part of uh, be a part of your life. So, um, this uh, this episode is going to carry an earmuff warning mm-hmm. um, because we're going to talk about porn, and um, an occasion for that is a conversation I got into at Biola, uh, but also we get tons of questions about it, and 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 in one sense. Um, if you hear that topic and your defenses go up or you immediately think, well, this doesn't apply to me. Um, I hope you've known by, you figured out by now, if you've been a regular listener, that we don't always approach things 
kind of the straightforward way that, so this is not going to be a, please don't look at porn talk. Mm -hmm. This is going to be something uh, a bit different and deeper than that. And, um, and for those of you that are in the midst of the struggle, um, hopefully, uh, a bit of my story, uh, could provide some hope. Mm-hmm. Um, and for those of you that aren't in the midst of the struggle, guaranteed, you know, somebody who is, yeah. or dating somebody who is, or married to somebody who yeah, is, or parenting somebody who is, but we also live in a culture where I heard the analogy recently. It's, it's kind of like secondhand smoke. It's, it's like, um, whether or not you are smoking, if people around you are smoking, you're still affected. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that the same is true in uh, kind of the pornified culture in which we live. Mm-hmm. Even if you're not indulging, the, the, yeah. but people around you are, you're still affected. Yeah, they, There's you, still something happening that yeah. needs to be discussed. The mass, the, the, the outrageous size of the industry on a global spectrum, like right. in the same way the tobacco industry has grown into something and drastically affects tons right. of things. I mean, we're all right. affected by it. That's bottom line. So, um, so we want to spend some time, um, talking through this topic and we want to do it honestly, of course. Uh, so if you have, you know, I mean, I think, um, most junior hires are already aware of, of this, uh, if not having dabbled in it themselves. Um, but we, I just want to talk a bit because uh, this is my struggle, uh, one of many, but uh, this is one that is, I, I wish, you know, it would just disappear. Um, I was exposed uh, very early on uh, by a family member uh, with, who was kind-hearted in trying to help me through puberty. Um, I was 11, and this family member... Uh, give me a magazine, and for those of you uh, millennials, magazines are are they're 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 printed on paper, and they have sort of glossy images uh, in them, and and you'll you'll see them in museums someday, um, and uh, and and this one uh, contained uh, pictures of of women that were not appropriately dressed at all, and um and and the the line was this is what women are like, mm-hmm. and so um th- that. Uh, wasn't thrown away afterwards. Um, that uh, was, you know, uh, kept. I knew where it was kept, and you know, I, I had access—not at all like today's access, but had access, you know, for as as um, as long as I was growing up in, in at home, and um, and I soon became aware that um, this was forming and shaping. Um, my views on things, but it wasn't until much later that I realized the damage, you mm-hmm. know, that it was doing. Um, I, I thought it was it was sort of harmless, um, and no one was getting hurt, and and uh, those sorts of things. And so, um, you know, even when I took over a church uh, in the area, I don't know, four or five years ago, um, the first thing I told the the elder board, the leaders of the church, was, "Listen." that we were doing prayer requests. And um, sometimes, you know, when you're sharing things to pray for, it's kind of like not really honest, you know, it's sort of like, yeah, my son's girlfriend has an issue or, you know, <laughs> uh, I, I, I am asking the boss for a raise or something. You're like, okay, those are, yeah, yeah of course. I need a little things. more sleep. Yes. Um, but I said, you know, please pray for me on Mondays. Because if I'm going to look at porn and if I'm going to look, if I'm going to overeat, it's going to be on Mondays. 
uh, because as we've talked about on the podcast, Monday's the best day to sin if you're in vocational ministry, right? Because you can kind of work it off uh, by the next weekend. So, uh, and it's a reward for, for you know, how intense Sunday was. So uh, that didn't go over great. <laughs> People don't mind when you have a struggle in the past. Um, they're very, very wary if you're still struggling. So, so I talk... I talk about this as one who has achieved um, peaks and valleys, uh, d- you know, deep victories and uh, staggering setbacks, and um, and you know, I, I I currently do not have um, like, for instance, Safari on my phone, and I have uh, software on my computer, and and it's not because I'm some raging you know uh, porn addict, but it's because I could be. Mm-hmm. Um, it wouldn't take much uh, to push me in that direction. So um, I'm coming at this not just as somebody who is going to offer some thoughts, but as somebody who's kind of seen the bottom a bit and seen the top and, um, and, and has also realized, you know, now my 13-year-old and I ask, ask each other about how our eyes were, um, you know, today. Uh, my 11-year-old um, sweet little girl you know, I was beginning to ask questions about how, you know, why, why at like football games are the women in very little clothing and the men, um, you know, in clothed from head to toe? Yeah. Uh, why is there that double standard everywhere? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she's beginning to wake up to that. So, so for us, this is a very live, very tender topic. And um, whenever I, whenever I think about these things or want to talk about them, I, I never want to just talk about them in isolation from other things because it's very easy to just be moralistic um on this topic and say you know porn is bad stop doing it here's how yeah and um while all of those statements are true (laughs) um they don't really capture the nuances of the struggle so so i always want to step back and and put the struggle in the bigger picture of of sexuality mm-hmm. because it's not just isolated of course not and so as we've talked about before when we talk about sexuality the bible begins the first commandment of the bible is after he after god made human beings in his image male and female he created them um he said be fruitful and multiply and and so the rabbis just would have a field day with the fact that of the 613 commandments of the torah the first one given was the command to have sex and um and and of all of the ways an infinitely creative god could have designed reproduction right he could have had storks deliver babies he could have had us garden (laughs) you know a la the matrix i mean we could have done any we could have done anything he he created it to be incredibly fun and not only that uh, not only is it blessed as an act of procreation but contrary to some of our uh, other brothers and sisters in the faith it's blessed as an act of recreation and you see that in uh, a collection of uh, love poems called the song of songs um, and these are patterned after uh, Egyptian love and wedding songs. These would be mm. sung or recited at Jewish weddings. Huh. Um, they were graphic. They were, I mean, you know, you take the, 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 the first sentence of the book is the woman saying, let him kiss me 
with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is more delightful than wine. And the word love uh, is the word dode, um, which uh, refers to physical intimacy. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, so it's better than getting drunk is the (laughs) kind of the idea. Um, they, and, and, and this is very common, you know, they're, they're, um, they're euphemisms, but they would have been readily understood, uh, by the Jewish audiences even today. And, and, and of course, I mean, there's an argument to be made that this sort of intimacy is the kind of intimacy God desires with his people. And so marriage, the marital relationship has been used all over the Bible as a, uh, a way to describe God's desired intimacy with his people. Um, so it's so many think that's what the Song of Songs is, and it certainly could be that, but minimally, it's at the very least sort of celebrating the the goodness, the beauty, the wholeness, the holiness of uh, sexuality. That that the Bible begins by saying that we were sexual before we were sinful. That our sexuality isn't part of our sinfulness. It's mm-hmm. not part of the sin nature. It's an essential and fundamental part of being human. Right. And it was part of the world that God declared to be very good. So desire is good and attraction is good and romance is good and orgasm is good. And all of the all of the 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 trappings of of romance and um, and love and intimacy, all of that was declared to be very good. Mm-hmm. And the church doesn't ever, unless it's a trite way, like like the let's married couples make love seven days in a row and let's make a big deal about it challenge. You know that I mean, how lame is that? <laughs> Wait, I haven't I haven't been to a church that's offered that yet. <laughs> oh yes, there there are some attention grabbers that have done this, and it's just you know ridiculous. It's just silly, um, and you know that's fine. But if I was going to offer a contest. No. From the podcast, oh, it would boy. actually be for my graphic designers out there. Oh boy! If you were to do a uh, a, a romance uh, book cover for Song of Solomon's, that uh, um, would just be epic. Well, and you and you have to include. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you go read the book. Yeah, I mean, it's and and you're, if you're sitting there thinking, does this. Is this referring to what I think it's referring to? Yes. Yes. In fact, English doesn't actually capture um, <laughs> sort of the uh, graphic nature yeah. of, of some of the illustrations. It's really, really funny. Um, so I would encourage you if you've never read it. And it's celebrating covenantal love. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's not just a throwaway to any expression of human sexuality, it's it's Godward um, sexuality, of course. But but you know, I, I think a lot of people are still surprised when uh, because what they hear from the church is all the thou shalt nots. They and with the Bible doesn't. There's no thou shalt not before thou shalt, right. and that it was a good and creative gift. And so so for for many, so many of us sexuality and our struggles with it it's viewed as a curse you know it's a thorn it's a it's a struggle it's a wrestling it you know it's loneliness it's addiction it's shame it's guilt oh and it just was never intended to be that mm-hmm. and um to kind of be recaptured by god's desire for us to be fully human and to be fully human means to be fully sexual that yeah. sexuality and spirituality are the same thing. I mean, mm-hmm. it's not, these aren't carnal desires. Yeah, right. These are God given. This is God originated stuff. Mm-hmm. In addition to like the first command in that way, would you, would you say that there's probably far more verses written about pro sexuality versus the versus verses out there about sexual immorality? Like, you is, know, that's a great question because it, there, there are some parts of the Levitical law mm-hmm. where it's literally, 
Do not have sex with animals. Do not yes. have sex with your brother-in-law. Yes. Do not have sex with your sister-in-law. Do not have sex with your parents. Do not have sex with your parents-in-law. I mean, it's yeah. like... So I don't know in the in the ratio, right? But I would say in the imagery for sure. Uh, I don't know about the actual word counts, but the mm. imagery absolutely the soaring imagery of um, scripture's depiction of the first man, the first woman, their first encounter, being naked and unashamed, the song yeah. of songs, yeah. um, portions of um, uh, of marriage and its descriptions in the New Testament. I mean, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, and and one of the interesting parts about the creation narrative is that human beings were created, it says we're created from the dust, from the dirt, and that God breathed his breath into lumps of clay, you know, literally. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and so the picture we get is that human beings are this unique physical spiritual hybrid, this, this the unique spiritual physical union mm-hmm. that's different than the just physical stuff created before uh, humans, so different than animals and different than fish and plants. They don't have the soulish, you know, sense of of image bearing mm-hmm. uh, that human beings seem to have. Uh, but on the other side, we read about these angelic beings um, who are spiritual in nature, but they don't have physical bodies. Now they can mm. evidently manifest physical bodies because you have all these telephony, telephonies in the Old Testament where yeah. angels sort of appear and whatever. But but you know, human beings occupy this interesting spot where we're not animals and we're not angels. Mm-hmm. And and those represent the animal part and the angel part represent two extremes on the whole sexual conversation. To just look at human beings as animals is to say we are simply the sum of our desires. We're enslaved to them. There's nothing we can do about them. Your desires literally are your destiny. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, if there's no soul to us, if there's no mastery of desire available to us, then literally we are we serve at the whim of our desires, just like animals do, right? Mm-hmm. They're in heat, we're in heat. And, and that really undergirds a lot of sexual ethics today, right? Yeah. Give the kids condoms because they're just going to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, the hookup culture. Um, it, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's even in the descriptions and the words that are used, it's just this uh, joining unjoining thing it, it has no consequence to it there's nothing significant about it it's just this thing we do mm-hmm. uh and yet the scripture insists that transformation is possible that um that your desires aren't your destiny that part of the following of jesus is to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow him and we'll talk about that later but but that we're not just we're not just prisoners of desire but at the same time the angelic mistake and a lot of churches make this one is the the pretending that we don't have any desires it's like oh good christian Christian people would never struggle with pornography, would never struggle with adultery, would never struggle with with being dissatisfied with your spouse, right? Right. Um, would never have questions about using um, sexual toys or, you know, uh, masturbating or whatever. Right. And, um, and that's just as equally wrong, right? So, so we are, um, because we're not angels, we have very live, real, deep uh, desires. Um, and because we're not animals, there's there's something attached to those desires that's bigger than them, that helps put them in perspective, that helps um, and, and, and connects to them so that what we do with our bodies affects our deeper selves too. Right. So, so there's a lot in Genesis 1, 2, and 3 just about the goodness of sexuality and 
and, and the fact that that human beings kind of sit in this hybrid situation where we have real desires and yet we're not just a slave to them. Mm-hmm. So trying to hold both of those intention is is really really difficult. Mm. So so that that's sort of the first move of any biblical theology of sexuality is it's it's celebrating its goodness and its beauty and its wholeness. The second move is to celebrate its power. And um and, and immediately you get that in Genesis 2 where um uh the the man and the woman meet the man has this kind of first poem in the bible um this woman is flesh of my flesh she's bone of my bone um and uh and it the scripture says that they are they are you know naked and unashamed and for this reason a man will leave his household and a woman will leave her household and they will become one flesh and the one flesh idea isn't just that um they uh, are physically joined, but that their physical joining is uh, symbolic of a much deeper joining, which is the joining of kinship. That this that that the man was no longer defined necessarily by his kinship group, and the woman was no longer defined by her kinship group. They were forming a new kinship group, mm-hmm. and uh, and there was a soulishness to it. That they were united, so that you could they were still two, but you could speak of them as one. Mm-hmm. So, so, so the scriptures speak of, um, the power of sexuality and we see the carnage of that all over the place, right? The hookup culture has its consequences. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, uh, porn addiction, um, has its consequences, right? I mean, we see the carnage and we feel the carnage and yet, you know, we're, we, we still are, we still are under sort of the uh, attempted anyway to sit under the delusion that none of this is a really big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, anything that anything that is powerful has has boundaries, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if you're electricity, you don't just you don't do anything with electricity that because it's powerful, it's all it also can be used to hurt. Yeah. And um, and so the the sexual ethic of the scriptures is always bound by the power um, for good or for harm that sexuality can do. Mm. So. Um, so, so you have that now when it comes to, when it comes to, um, uh, the comments on lust, let's say, um, the Bible distinguishes between normal, healthy sexual desire and lust and normal, healthy sexual desire is part of God's creation. And that's part of God's good world. And it's, um, you know, even as I, as I talk to my son, it's not, in any way, shape, or form, a bad thing to be curious and a bad thing to 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 notice somebody and go, oh my goodness, and you feel that spark and that mm-hmm. flutter and that whatever. But when Jesus uses the word lust, he's using he he talks about and he's using it just from the male perspective. But obviously, this goes both ways. Um, and this is not a heterosexual homosexual thing. I mean, this is like just the nature of lust in regardless of direction. Um, uh, that he's, he uses the image, he says, um, if you look upon another um, in order to lust. So it's not just that you're looking upon somebody, but it's that you're doing that in order to lust. And the word lust he uses is interesting because it talks about in the mind and that lust exists in the mind. And then he says this very famous thing. He says, you know, if, you look, if you've looked after a woman 
uh, in order to lust after her. It's as if you've committed adultery with her already. Mm-hmm. Now, he did that previously with anger and murder. If, you, if, if you've, you've held someone in anger and contempt, it's like you've murdered them. What he's getting at is that the Pharisees, for all of their boasting about how righteous they were, reduced their obedience to merely external conformity. Mm-hmm. The, the heart motivations weren't didn't matter to them. So yeah. they could walk around and say, well, yeah, I've never committed adultery mm-hmm. or I've never murdered anybody. I must be fulfilling the commands. Right. And Jesus goes, no, 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 no. The, the righteousness, the, the, the thing that God's after is actually the transformation of the human heart. Mm-hmm. And so uh, adultery just doesn't happen in a vacuum. It starts with lust and murder doesn't happen in a vacuum. It starts with anger. Mm-hmm. And so Jesus is doing this very profound thing when, he's, when he begins to talk about desire, but the desire he's talking about is different than just normal sexual desire, right? Mm-hmm. It's like temptation. Temptation itself is never sin. Right. Uh, Jesus was tempted in every way. Right. However, um, yielding to temptation to something you know is wrong, obviously, is overstepping a boundary. Right. Make sense? Yeah. And, and then at Biola, when you talked about it, you talked about that Jesus's language when referring to lust also had to do with coveting. Yeah. So, 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 so he said, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Because it's like it seems that, you know, what Jesus did consistently with what you just said was point the Pharisees back to the Torah and the original Ten Commandments against those very indictments. Because it's right. kind of like, well, the Ten Commandments don't layer this this argument for adultery but it's like yeah but one of those commandments is to not covet well they have so, no no no, no. Or, he, he they do have a commandment against adultery okay okay they don't have a commandment against lust, lust right so what jesus does is he com- he he combines the only command of the 10 that deals with the internal heart of the person which is do not covet your neighbor's possessions yeah combines it with the command do not commit adultery okay. to get the idea that you should not look upon somebody lustfully right does that make sense yes yep so, so, so yes, Jesus is talking very, very specifically about a kind of looking, and that, and I think that's always important to say. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, for a lot of people, um, you know, porn isn't purposely chosen. You, you happen upon it. Um, someone, someone shows you, right. and that first initial, you know, hit of it sometimes is disgust. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's shame. Sometimes it's it's you know horror horror. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and, and, and then something, you know, kind of begins to happen, something it stirs up something else. And yeah, so yeah. when you get to the scriptures teaching on, um, the, the prison of, of where, where lust sort of, what lust sort of creates in us, there's this incredibly rich, uh, and sort of terrifying imagery that Paul uses, uh, in the book of Ephesians to to talk a bit about um, what it means to have a numbness or hardness of heart. And anybody who's been an addict, and it doesn't matter to what, knows about that numbing. Um, and so I, I want to talk a little bit about, okay, so, so let's keep going down the line. Uh, sexuality is powerful. So there are boundaries around it. Um, one of those boundaries has to do with the intentions of our heart and the thoughts and obsessions, obsessings of our minds. And, um, and what happens when those are yielded to time and time and time and time again mm-hmm. um, and stirred up by these pixelated images uh, that can be found now at the click of a button as opposed to, you know, these old things called magazines and <laughs> whatever. <laughs> so, so Paul has this incredible, oh, it just scares me because I've tasted this. He says, so I tell you this, and I insist on it in the Lord. He's talking to Christians. He says I, that you must no longer live 
as those outside of Jesus do in the futility of their thinking. And then he describes them. He says, they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of the hearts. They're, he says the hardening of their hearts. Mm-hmm. So that phrase he begins to unpack. How does a heart get hardened? He says, having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they're full of greed. Now, Again, man, Bible words. And if you're not, if you're somebody, you know, that's like outside this whole thing, you're like, oh boy, you know, here we go. Here's the, when do I, when do I get my purity ring? And, you know, no, 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 that's not what we're doing. There, but but there, there's a series, there's a, a waterfall of images that Paul uses here that in Greek are, have a lot more punch than just this religious sounding sort of list I just read in English. So the first thing he says about hardening of heart, he says, um, having lost all sensitivity. And the idea, the, the word that he uses there, um, apelegio, I think is how you would say it in Greek. Yes. Uh, it means to, um, it's the condition of being void or past feeling. Okay, so it's having lost mm. the ability to feel things like we used to, yeah. right? And we know exactly what this what, what this is like, right? So your first entrance into that whole um, uh, that whole kind of illicit world um, could be fairly innocent. Uh, it could be a swimsuit edition. It could be a you know a Maxim. It could be something. Yeah. But but after a while, you need a, a bit more to kind of get stirred up in the same way. Mm-hmm. And as that happens, you begin to lose sense. Sensitivity. Now that that we would say you grow numb to it, mm-hmm. so it's kind of you lose the ability to enjoy the thing. So so for instance, um, alcoholics, from what I understand, they don't enjoy drinking. They're using drinking mm-hmm. to get drunk. Yeah, they're using alcohol. They're not enjoying alcohol. Mm-hmm. Um, gluttons, and I have no experience with this, but I, I hear <laughs> that um, we don't enjoy food. Um, we use food. And so, so very often, and, and this is so lame, but very often, if I'm, if I'm going to town on some ice cream, I'm not enjoying the current bowl. I'm thinking about how great the second bowl will be. Hmm. Um, hmm. And, uh, and, and so there's this sense that, that as opposed to my foodie friends, you know, who will take five bites of something and just go, oh my goodness, this is incredible. And they just put their forks down. Yeah. And I'm like, if, if ever I have that experience, I'd like, I'd, I'd like to order seven more, please. You know I mean? There's, <laughs> you, you kind of lose sensitivity and it's, yeah. it's incredibly scary. Um, because this is, this is where lust goes that you, you, what, what worked before doesn't work. Yeah. And and we'll, in a moment, see, there's a, there, like there's a neurotransmitter issue that's going on. So there's actually a brain science thing mm-hmm. that explains this. But Paul knew it, you know, way before we knew brain science, that you, that you lose the ability to feel things like you used to. So you lose the ability to enjoy it. And, and, and mm-hmm. I, I've used this analogy before. I put it in one of my books where, where um, one of Hugh Hefner's girlfriends, you know, said that Hugh... Um, you know, this was, man, a decade or two ago that Hugh could no longer enjoy heterosexual intercourse um, because he he had sort of hollowed himself out. And I mm-hmm. thought, you know, what irony. Right. Here's the paradigm right. um, example of the, the playboy lifestyle and mm-hmm. he can't even enjoy the thing he's promoting. Yeah. Right. So that's what it looks like to have to lo- have lost all sensitivity. Mm-hmm. That that says, then Paul says that leads to 
being given over to something called sensuality. And the Greek word he uses there, as legia, azelgia. All right, I'll stop pronouncing these. <laughs> um, it, but it's the absence of restraint and it's the insatiable desire for more. So the more you indulge, the more you want to indulge. So it's mm-hmm. not just, so the first one is losing sensitivity is when it takes more to get the rush. Yeah. Right. Or it takes different or harder core, whatever. The second one is um, that the more you do it, the more you want it. Mm-hmm. You know. So right. it's so these work in tandem. Right. So it's the idea, uh, and I, the the perfect picture for me comes from C.S. Lewis in the Chronicles of Narnia, mm-hmm. um, where if you've seen the movie or you've read the books, uh, there are these four British school children that find themselves in a magic land where animals talk. Uh, and, and there's this kind of white witch who, who is the kind of the enemy of the, the land of Narnia, keeping the land in perpetual winter. And the white witch befriends, befriends one of the kids, Edmund. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and Edmund says he's hungry. And so she, she bewitches something called Turkish delight, these little uh, candies, yeah. uh, evidently that are very well known in other places. And she bewitches them so that the more he eats, the more he wants, and it spoils his appetite for anything else. Yeah. So, so it's happening on two levels. Number one, it's all he's eating. So his appetite for food that nourishes him is gone. But eating the food doesn't satisfy his hunger. It only increases it. Mm-hmm. So, so for those of us who've been trapped in the, the, the web of the, this idea of sensuality, it's um, the more you do it, the more you need to do it. Mm-hmm. And the more you need to do it, the greater hit it takes, the, the, the wider array of experiences or the deeper you have to go to get, this hit, to get the hit. But then once you've done it, the fle- feelings of shame and the, and the guilt and the hardening of heart come. And the only thing that relieves those is more of the thing that you're eating. And as that's happening, your appetite for good things has mm-hmm. been corrupted. Right. Yep. I mean, it's an unbelievable, devastatingly accurate picture. Yeah of what happens inside of us when we are literally given over. And this phrase, given over to sensuality, it's a phrase that Paul uses other places to describe the judgment of God. And, mm-hmm. and the judgment of God, we'll talk about when we get to the whole hell conversation, the judgment of God isn't God sitting up in a computer zapping people. Uh, the judgment of God is built in to behaviors themselves. It's not that that's not the only way the judgment of God's expressed, but one of the ways it's expressed is when God gives us over to things. So so literally we say that sin is its own reward, sin is its own punishment. What that means um, is that is that the judgment of God isn't found, and this is such a key point, it's not found when you get caught when um, she gets pregnant, when uh, someone sees your browser tabs. Um, that's not the judgment of God. That's the mercy mm-hmm. of God yeah. stopping you, interrupting this this road to ruin. Right. Uh, the judgment of God is found precisely in those moments when he doesn't intervene and he just gives us, lets us have what we want. Yeah. And so that that's, so Paul says that's mm. given overness. Yeah. That's, yeah. Yeah, that's um, so, so, I mean, to me, I just go, oh my goodness, even now, like in the pit of my stomach, I'm like, man, I know what that feels like. And then he just simply says, we're, we're hungrier, uh, we're lonelier, we're more ashamed after we indulge than before we did. Mm-hmm. And, and then it just leaves us full of greed. And the word he uses um, for greed means to just want more. 
Yep. It's literally the life then becomes, begins to be built around the satisfying of this. Mm -hmm. So it's the, I'm at work, I can't look at something, but I can't wait to get home and look at something. So Mm -hmm. that, so, so I, I just, I just think one of the reasons why I trust what's written in this, in this book, even though it's, it's sometimes so odd and hard to understand is that there are insights and there there's such wisdom there and like this is one of those times where i'm like that's it that's exactly what it's like right what's so fascinating to me is that without the the understanding of neurological study at this time period you know obviously thousands of years later we're in a place where we can analyze all of that neurologically and scientifically and there's so much study done on this where they see that the constant Yes. Um, indulgence of this uh, redesigns your brain that causes neuropathways. Yeah, let's go to that. The same way that heroin works in the brain. Yes. So that the t- it stimulates t- yeah. the same part of the brain that um, that that heroin does. Mm-hmm. So there's this reward center that's governed by dopamine, which mm-hmm. is this neurotransmitter. So let me get to that. Yeah. Because because not only does Paul you know paint a picture, science emerging science paints a picture of this. And so I want to read a couple of different studies to you. Um, number one, there were young adults um, split into two groups, a control group, um, and, and they were measured before and after on their attitudes towards things. And then a, a group that was exposed consistently to very hardcore stuff. And uh, both groups were measured, you know, on the attitudes. And so here were some of the, here were some of the findings of this. Male subjects demonstrated increased callousness toward women, which... You know, I mean, uh, no duh. Um, in in at least the 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 straight porn I'm familiar with, the 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 other person is simply there for you. There's mm-hmm. no mutual uh, satisfaction. There's no tenderness. There's no kindness. There's no covenant. There's nothing mm-hmm. except just the act, the genital act, and that so reduces what sexuality is, as as it's presented in the scriptures. Right? Yep. It's just sexuality is so much bigger than what you do with your genitals. Um, number two, they, um, subjects considered the crime of rape less serious. And we're seeing that in the mm, rape culture on college yeah. campuses. When you immerse people in decades of this stuff and then expect, expect them to just abide by the, hey, it, this, it's okay as long as it doesn't hurt anywhere else, that doesn't work. They've been formed to see women a certain kind of way. And so you have this massive rape culture happening um, that is the direct result of um, the deep formation of people around um, uh, what women are to be seen as and used for. Mm-hmm. Um, subjects were uh, obviously more accepting of non-marital sexual activity. Uh, they were more accepting of um, oral and anal sex, even if women w- did not find those things pleasant for them or comfortable for them. Mm-hmm. That was irrelevant. Uh, obviously, they became more interested in extreme and more deviant forms of, of what they were seeing. They were more likely to be dissatisfied with their current partner. Of course, who can live up to right. what can I mean? And, and that's the thing. John right? Mayer even said it like he had a quote about three years ago that was like, in the world that we live in with as much porn is available. Why would I ever get married? Right. Yeah. Um, uh, subjects were more accepting of sexual infidelity. They valued marriage less and were twice as likely to believe marriage may become obsolete. And then this one, this one punched. And I know you have a little girl too. Mm-hmm. Men experienced a decreased desire for children. No, mm-hmm. duh. 
And women experienced a decreased desire to have a daughter. Yeah. And that one, that one is just a kick in the stomach to me. My sweet Hannah Bear, 11 years old, just beginning uh, the the puberty, you know, phase. Um, and I can see why people wouldn't want one if, 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 if that's the view. I mean, think about how much educating I have to do for Hannah to live in this world. Mm-hmm. How much pepper spray, oh, yeah. tasers. Uh, I, have, I, have to, I have to teach her to watch out for roofies. I have to, I, I mean, are you kidding mm. me? And, and we just are all like, hey, this isn't this big deal. Let's not be prudish. Yeah. Really? How many women are sexually assaulted? And and I'm not I'm not some fundy sitting in a in a room somewhere just blaming news media. I'm just saying we're formed. You are being discipled and formed by something. We all are. As much as we think we're our own individuals, that is such a load of bunk. We are all in the process of being formed by something and people formed by this come out a certain way. Yeah. And um and, and so and, and you know, back to, I mean, to me, it just blows my mind. Then you've got, then you've got the, the neuroscience part about what it does to your brain. Mm -hmm. And, and so this was, you know, it, it becomes addictive. Um, no, duh. Um, it overstimulates the brain system that releases the pleasure neurotransmitter dopamine. Um, it impairs memory and concentration. It numbs you to other pleasures of life. Um, it, uh, causes, uh, sensitization, uh, because your reward system has been so hammered, uh, you have an amped up attraction, um, to images that, um, that like just walking by your commute computer monitor can, you know, just flare it up or, right. you know, just seeing a quick glance of something. Um, it diminishes impulse control and willpower. No, duh. Mm. Um, it literally shrinks your brain. Studies actually Whoa. show that even moderate amounts of this can shrink gray matter in areas associated with cognitive function related to our ability to focus. Um, it causes depression and low energy because it's interfering constantly mm. with dopamine production. Um, it, uh, it causes erectile dysfunction because, they be- because we become less um, aroused by normal human Right. women <laughs> I mean it's absolutely it's absolutely incredible um, every type of reward that has been studied increases the level of dopamine transmission in the brain so stimulants like cocaine um, meth act directly act directly on the dopamine system dopamine surges when a person is exposed to novel stimuli particularly if it's erotic and when a stimuli mm. is more arousing than anticipated so we mm. we actually become addicted to the process of new i have to find the new thing mm. it's unbelievable so so you know and, and for those of us in the middle of the struggle i mean none of this is news you know very rarely do i come across somebody in my circles who who's just totally okay yeah um some are some say hey this is a normal part of a healthy sex life this is a normal part of just managing your own sexuality okay disagree entirely but you know that's not that's i'm yeah. not i'm not the moral police in the universe um but the 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 folks i have conversations with are deeply concerned by um, the secondhand smoke of this in our culture, mm-hmm. but not only that, how many people directly engage and what that does then to boyfriends and girlfriends and marriages and breakups and parents and all those sorts of things. Yeah. So the question becomes, for those of us interested, um, which is not everybody, but for those of us interested in, in clawing and scratching a way out, how does the, how does the reformation of desire work? 
hmm. because that's what we're talking about. We're, we're not just talking about managing behavior because, you know, the last thing um, people need to be told is just to stop it. Just yeah. stop it. Yeah. Try to tell a heroin addict to just stop. Just stop. Um, there we are built in a way because we're not animals and because we're not angels, but we're a bit of both. We're built in a way that we're whole and one part affects all parts. So to just stop it. Okay. That's like telling someone who's depressed just to pray more. Yeah. It's like, okay, that's true, but it's a bit more complicated than just that. Mm -hmm. So I want to talk a little bit about steps to steps to freedom, uh, at least that I found helpful. Um, and, and the first, of course, and this is the first of any anything, is um, is to begin to speak and to call this what it is. To uh, in in biblical parlance, it's it's the the act of confession, and confession doesn't mean you know what we do to a priest, um, uh, but but there is a deep picture in that that there's somebody who we're in community with who actually knows. Um, uh, what's going on in our hearts and to find someone who is safe and someone who's not just going to sit there and say, yep, me too, (laughs) you know, um, but to find somebody who's wise in the ways of Jesus, for those of you who are Jesus followers, um, who is gracious and um, offers no condemnation and yet will take this as seriously as it needs to be taken. I mean, that's a tough find. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's a very, very tough find. And so, you know, I'm not just advocating you just spill this to anybody, uh, but you're very discerning in who you spill it to, but it has to be spilled. Secrecy yeah. gives this much of its power Yeah, to call it what it is. Right. So when I confess this before God and others, it's adultery in my heart. Yeah. Um, it is not finding delight in the wife that mm-hmm. God has given, but it is finding delight in other images. Yeah. And, you know, to explain to my sweetie that there's nothing deficient about her, this is a deficiency in me, mm-hmm. you know, is is very confusing yeah. to her. Right. Uh, go ahead. I was going to say, at the very at the very least, I mean, because to your point, you know, trying to find a person that's like that, kind of in this world, in this community, that is kind of, is is beyond me too, but that can adv- give that wise counsel. But at the same time, do you feel almost at the very least, there's almost benefit in sitting in a confession in a Catholic church with a priest just so you could say it, just so it could come if out. And If that's all you got, yeah. yes, but please understand, the only thing I would disagree with is that... Um, the priest is somehow more holy than anybody else. Yeah. And that that there's somehow God's a representative. I just think there's the 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 sainthood of believers, the right. priesthood of believers. I just think that's true. Mm-hmm. But yes, if yeah. that if that man, for the that, sake of confession, yes. not not to yeah, for yep. the acknowledgement that you're amongst holier. And see that's but, where yeah. and that's where, you know, SA groups or AA groups are unbelievably sure, powerful. There you, go. Yep. you run, you run to confession. It's like people are all just going, yep, <laughs> I know exactly what that's like, but there is this implicit, but we want to get better. Yeah. And, uh, but it begins with confession, right? So the mm-hmm. joke is always, hey, my name's Mike, I'm an alcoholic. Yeah. Um, why do they make you say that? Why do they encourage you to say that? Well, because now you're telling the truth. To walk in truth is the hardest step to, to go to your significant other or partner or spouse and to say, this is what I'm being formed by. Mm-hmm. And not just like six months ago, like yeah. yesterday. Yeah. You know what I mean? That, that's, that's a really courageous thing. Mm-hmm. And, to, and not just do it one time, but to walk in truth, I mean, is, is so hard. Um, and, and to do it in a way where you're not guilted and shamed um, and shut down and just told to stop it. 
um, that's a that's a that's such a hard find. So brothers and sisters, that's a you know, I I, I wish I had more on that other than the, I, mm. I can describe the kind of person you should look for. But uh, in terms of where those people are in your life, I mean, obviously I got nothing. We pray, you know, I I pray for those kinds of people. Um, too bad God's not answered yet. So, you know, so I'm just here with God's Andy. God's just like, no, I, I want to. They just don't exist. Right, exactly. <laughs> oh, they're out there somewhere. Um, so. Uh, Confession, right. the road to. Yep. 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 So that's huge. So the other thing, the, the second thing that began, that, that really began to help me is the idea that um, I needed to unnumb from this. Hmm. And, and the way I chose to unnumb was to try to push it as far away. So what I found is I, I learned that there were certain times I was more susceptible, tired, g- going into coming out of a nap, um, coming off a spiritual high, believe it or not. I was always more lonely and depressed after those times. Um, if, if my wife and I had not, for whatever reason, been intimate in a while, um, I found that I was more susceptible in, in, in those sorts of moments. And so what I, what I began to do is to say, okay, how, what are the avenues in? So one obviously is the p- computer. And so to have, uh, it's called Covenant Eyes, and it, I pay about 100 bucks a year to have every website flagged and sent to uh, a trusted friend. Um, but then, uh, then these smartphones came out and, (laughs) and now it's like, oh, this is actually more, you know, this is actually easier. And I haven't found phone software yet. Yeah. Uh, They're, they're not designed in such, I mean, I think Android phones are a little bit better at this kind of thing. Apple's all compartmentalized per app. So it's not, there's no global systems that work great. I mean, there's in, in system preference in the settings, I'm sorry, on the, on iOS, you can, apply a lot of different direct control filtering on the apps themselves, but not, not often within the app itself. Right. So yeah, it's, it, it opened up a whole new world for young people and older people alike. Once smartphones hit the scene. Yeah, absolutely. There's different browsers you can download. Like you can disable Safari and then like download the X3 church app and use that as a separate browser. I mean, there's some of, but you have to be very, you know, you got to be walking with someone intentionally, you yeah. know, like, and I think you even said, like, you took Safari off your phone. Like, I think you said Justy has the password, like, right? Yeah. Like, for certain stuff. Pro- and- yeah, but here's the problem. I've learned that there are still ways I can find it. Sure. Instagram, Pinterest. Right. Uh, so, every other Twitter, app. Twitter. Yep. yep every other app. And and so I'm actually toying with the idea. I just bought a, a an iPhone 7. My wife got it for me for Christmas. And uh, I'm just toying at the idea of, and the reason I, you know, the number one reason I, I, I want it is because I'm directionally illiterate and, and to have a GPS <laughs> at my, at my tips, I, yeah. you have no idea. I, I, I have to go to the same place everywhere, or I have to go to the same place the same way. If I have to come from any other way, I have no idea how to go. <laughs> I've lived in Orange County now 20 years and I have no clue how to get to stuff. <laughs> hey, is, is this 91 East or West? And which way should I go? And I just am not there. I love that. There's so literally the thought of not having a GPS like handy scares me, but that's literally the only reason I haven't just gone to a brick, yeah. you know, that you just flip open and you can text on and that's yeah. it. Yeah. We just need to buy you a Garmin for your car. You know, use one of the old school GPS systems, Tom, Tom, Garmin, one of those. Do they still work? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, they're still great. Are they really? Yeah, they're still good. I, I kind of don't believe it. I know. Well, it's just a phone. If you ride subways, if you walk places, I mean, that's the multi feature benefit of a phone but if you're if it's always a situation in your car i mean then you could just use you know one of those systems i mean it's okay. just like the system's built in all right those are those are fine all those, right 
Yeah. Mm. Okay, My so, millennial technological spiel. Yes. Well done. <laughs> um, and, uh, and so I began to, to try to push away. Uh, this is far away. So if I was going to do it, I had to work. And that working increased my, the risks of getting caught. Yeah. And, uh, and I didn't do it out of guilt. I didn't do it out of fear. I didn't do, but I did it out of a deep desire to be unnumb. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I found that as I unnumbed, um, and, and it's kind of like dieting for me. It, it's, uh, it's not just enough to not eat bad food, but it's to begin to desire good food. Mm-hmm. And, and so you have to unnumb your palate almost. I have, to, I, have to, I have to fast from all of that sugary stuff that I love so that fruit tastes very yes. sweet, right? It's that same thing, man. And so, so it's not just enough to push it away, but I had to begin to engage in formational practices that began to have the opposite effect. Yeah. So, so this for me was huge and I'd never heard this until I discovered guys like Dallas Willard and, and Richard Foster and guys that really talked about spiritual disciplines, Mm -hmm. um, the practices of opening yourself up to grace so that grace can change you in in ways that you cannot change by direct effort. Mm. And so, you know, the idea of fasting, um, taking a meal and using the time I would eat to pray, uh, the idea of taking long walks, um, the idea of journaling, you know, the, those things, beginning to read the Bible through, throughout, trying to read the Bible in a year. I mean, um, um, uh, you know, deep, deep friendships, um, uh, uh, pursuing my wife um, just romantically more. I mean, you know, they, they, were, they were counter- they were counter to the formation that had pushed me in the opposite direction. So it wasn't mm-hmm. enough. I, Paul has this great line. He, he says to people who've been stealing, steal no longer, but work with your hands so that you might give to the poor. Mm. And I love that. I love that as a piece of advice. It's like, well, how do we steal? We steal with our hands. So do something with your hands, mm. um, work, right. and do it f- so for something bigger than you. Mm. That's, and, that, uh, and I know this is all... I love that verse because it's so anti-consumerism at the same time, you know, to be like, <laughs> stop consuming, but rather create, you know, it's just anyways, create and share. Yeah. There's the millennial. There's the millennial. There I, I, everything has to have a cause. Yeah. Hashtag collab. Um, so, so for me, there was, there was the, 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 uh, the walk beginning to walk in truth. Then there was the pushing away and the shutting of doors. Then there was the, um, uh, the the practicing uh, in community of formational practices that um, that began to form me differently. Mm-hmm. Now again, you can do all of this checklist, and if you view it as a checklist and a formula that's going to solve the problem, you're going to miss it entirely. These are the things. These are not things that solve the problem. These are things that open you up so that the problem can be solved. And there, to me, that's a big world of difference. I don't want to just settle for having around through sheer willpower saying, no, I want to be the kind of person who yearns for what's good. Yeah. And that's a whole different conversation. Totally. And so that, that's a, that becomes lifestyle stuff, right? It's diet. It's the same thing as diet, man. I mean, literally I'm learning this as I, as I try to get in some way, shape or form in decent shape. It's not just enough to say no to food. It's to say yes to the right food. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's to learn to love to eat again. It's to, it's to learn to practice formational practices around. So it's avoiding certain restaurants and triggers. Jesse can't bring ice cream in the house because I will just eat it. I just will eat ice cream. Um, 
But if we have like macaroons, they're safe. Huh. Um, lima beans, safe. <laughs> lima um, beans. <laughs> no Brussels sprouts, no problem. <laughs> um, uh, so, but it's also then beginning to use my body for something other than just consuming calories, right? It's the working out part. I mean, so, so, so I, I, I know, I know how this sounds, and it can sound just a legalistic, like here's an accountability checklist. That's not in any way, shape, or form, what needs to happen. You don't need to be told to stop. Right. What needs to happen is that your desires need to begin to change. Mm-hmm. And as your desires change, the saying no becomes the natural extension of of who you're becoming. Yep. And that's the deep part of Paul's teaching that we don't talk a lot about. Mm-hmm. All of this advice is given in the context of people who are already new creations. Right. And then he keeps saying, live up to what's already true of you. Yeah. And so so it's not, it's not that, hey, do this to become free it's that no no actually you're free now live up to your freedom now mm-hmm. claim your freedom you've got an inheritance now claim it yeah. um you you are already called and uh and you're no longer sit under condemnation so claim that inheritance mm-hmm. and that's a whole different thing so it, it's it's you know the example i always use it, it's becoming who you already are so so uh, another example um when i first got married I was uh, I was formed as a single man at the age of 29 and part of the habits of my single manness included you know laundry piles on the floor dishes that would soak for weeks um, uh, bedding that was never washed, why or made, um, um, and uh, and and so so all of a sudden, I meet this beautiful woman. We decide we're going to get married. I show up at a church. It's a, just a, it's just a Sunday, just a Sunday and a long parade of Sundays. It's at seven o'clock. At seven forty-five, he pronounces this husband and wife. I walk out of a church, and I have an entirely new identity. But am I formed around that identity? Nope, not at all. Not at all. I have no idea how to be a husband. None. None. And so what begins to happen is I'm invited to become what's already true. So we begin the hard work of meshing two sinful kingdoms, right? My kingdom and her kingdom (laughs) together to form one flesh. And we're battering up against each other on our preferences, whose preference wins when it comes to toothpaste and laundry and dishes and uh, the air conditioning and all of those sorts of things. You're negotiating all of this stuff. And and what began to happen is I didn't leave my laundry on the floor. Um, and I began to realize dishes could be reused and, uh, and that bedding <laughs> really should be washed. And there were things like duvet covers. <laughs> now, I didn't do that in order to become a husband, I did that because I already was one and I was so desiring to have a good marriage that I was willing to be formed by somebody else than myself mm. and, and, and my desires. Because it yeah. was just easy for me to have laundry on the floor and never do dishes. Yeah. But because I was in covenant relationship with her and because there was enough beauty and goodness around, even though we were negotiating and fighting and arguing, um, I, I began to put off those ways of thinking and acting and living and breathing um, that were um, fitting for a single person but weren't fitting for a married person. And I was putting on the habits and practices of somebody that was married. Right. Right. Same thing happens when you have a kid. Yeah. Here's a kid. One day you're a couple, the next day you're a family. Do I have any idea how to be a father? I do not. Hmm. But it's the process of now realizing, oh, 
oh, I, we can't just do anything at the drop of a hat. Oh, it takes us 20 minutes to pack a diaper bag w- before we go anywhere. Oh, we shouldn't fly for the next like 18 years because flying <laughs> with a kid is the worst. Right? I mean, you just it like, oh, there's this whole other thing that goes on in terms of like being formed by something you already are. Mm-hmm. So that's the difference for me. Mm-hmm. You have, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have a mentor in Christ, his spirit in you, a community around you. You have instruments of grace, confession and repentance and baptism and communion and the community worship and uh, the scriptures um, that that open you up to the grace of God so that you begin to hunger for things that are healthy, good, and right. Yeah. Now, um, there was a, a study done, and I thought this was absolutely brilliant. Let me try to find it. Um, I've got like 22 pages of notes. Um, oh, dang. I don't know where it is. It was a study that was done that, that um, compared people that were successful in um, overcoming this versus people who were not successful in overcoming this. And they found, oh. they found there were four sort of pictures of or four practices or four things that were true of the people who had um, had kind of overcome hmm. uh, versus the people who had not overcome, and um, and and you know because the the big thing is healing from this does not come from trying harder or feeling more shame. You've already done that. Mm-hmm. Right, the healing does not come from slavishly obeying some checklist um, that says, you know, if you just do A, B, C, and D, you're going to be okay. It doesn't. It doesn't come that way, right? The sensitivity, the sensuality, um, you know, lust doesn't operate on a flat line. It always, it always, always wants more. Mm-hmm. And so there were, there were. Um, oh, dang it! I'm still looking for it. Th- there was this. Um, this set of four things. Oh, here we go. All right. There are four major factors. Thank you. Thank you, Andy, for glad nothing. I, glad I could help out there. That predicts success and recovery. First, the individual must be personally motivated to be free of their addiction and possess a willingness to do whatever it takes. So, you know, so somebody will come up to me and say, hey, uh, I'm addicted to porn. I'm like, okay. Um, how does it get to you on my computer? Okay. Where's your computer? Next to my bed. Okay. You willing to not have it next to your bed? No, I kind of like it next to my bed. Okay, well, guess what? You're going to keep struggling, yeah. right? I mean, <laughs> it, it, you know, you just, you, at some point, they call it rock bottom. You, at some point, you're willing to do whatever. Yeah. And so whether that's restrict your freedom on the internet, whether that's show up at an SA support group meeting, I've got a dear friend who the most humbling thing he's ever done was walk into one of those meetings and identify with that crew mm-hmm. very young guy and um but but it was a huge step for him because it was indicated his willingness to do anything yeah um secondly um it's necessary to create a safe environment which drastically reduces access to porn and other triggers right so that for me was pushing things away mm-hmm. third uh this person should affiliate with a 12-step support group um, now, I don't know that every person needs that. It certainly will never hurt anybody. But when I talk about confession, that's what I'm talking about. A place where you literally can just be your ugly old self. Uh, and then lastly, and again, this is from a, from a purely sort of uh, secular 
non-religious perspective, mm -hmm. the individual needs to select a counselor or therapist who has special training. Um, but see, I would add some things to that list. I would also add, we have to recapture um, a picture of the beauty of sexuality. Mm -hmm. We have to we have to resist the um, the assumptions that fuel the pornographic industry about what women are like or what women are. And again, I'm speaking heterosexually from man to woman. Uh, I realize there are other dynamics, other directions. Um, but there but there's a sense that you know when I when I when I had a daughter and realized these are daughters, you know what's what are the dads thinking here? Um, or this is an image bearer, mm -hmm. and and what 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 we're celebrating is the is the the tarnishing of the image bearing of the people you're watching, and as you're doing it, it's killing your image bearing too. You know mm -hmm. we're becoming less human in doing this. Um, uh, realizing that that for me confession isn't just hey God I agree that this behavior was wrong, but it's the confession of desire uh, that I hunger for this and that Paul uses this great image about grieving the Holy Spirit and a mentor of mine named John Coe just said you know he calls it sitting in the weeds. He's like when you go before God don't don't fix it, don't just slap like a confession on it, just sit there in the weeds of your own darkness and in scumminess and, and ask the spirit of God, how are you grieved by this? Yeah. And that was like a whole different scary thing mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, than just, uh, yep, God, you're right. Yeah. And so, so again, man, I, I, I don't know if this is helpful. I, I'm so worried about uh, trying to avoid the classic sort of purity culture, you know, sort of shallow phrases yeah. and things. But these have been things that have been helpful, legitimately helpful to me yeah. in the journey. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I went through therapy. It wasn't about this, but it affected this. Um, as I just began to get healthy in other ways, emotionally, and I realized, oh, I have this whole emotional thing that this is what I do to numb, mm -hmm. you know, when mm -hmm. I want to numb out. This is, this is, uh, and so, so I know this sounds ridiculous, but I actually got into video gaming culture. Um, I play this wonderful game named Destiny. <laughs> and I play it, I don't know, three or four times a week. And, um, and I absolutely love it. And it, and it, it, it's something else I do with my hands. You know, it's, it's like that other, that other you know, thing. You know, when you create, I mean, it's like, it's, it's, but I, it's causal. And... But I numb out. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I can, I can escape my head mm -hmm. for a while Yeah. without doing anything that's sinful. Yeah. You know? Right. And, um, and so, so there've been, I have other ways of doing this too that are healthy. <laughs> so, <laughs> like reading so, one of the many thousands of books right? on this Love shelf. that. Love that. <laughs> Kids help, man. Just, I mean, sure. oh my goodness to have Nate. Yeah. And Nate and I walking through this together, just saying, Hey, how are your eyes today? Mm -hmm. And, um, I mean, that's amazing right. to, to, to get to live. <sighs> Sorry. Um, to try to get to live how I would have wanted my journey to have gone mm. now through him and to give him opportunity to have a much better picture is uh, so inspiring mm. to me. Uh, that has been an unexpected source of a great motivation hmm. and um and joy to be you know with him in that and uh and so you know uh the struggle the struggle continues but 
there's there's so much more joy and less despair in it because I've I've seen the victories and I've seen I have a I have a radar now that's more finely attuned to when I'm spiraling, mm. and um, and uh, a willingness more to you know to ask for help, and um, you know and and certainly man, this isn't a straight line of perfection. You know that's the last thing. It's like another analogy, but these are so important. I hope yeah. you're still listening. Mm-hmm. Um, friends of ours had adopted a um some children uh, particularly a boy in this instance out of the foster care system and i've told this story a thousand times but it still is one of the most powerful pictures of the process of becoming who you are and um little did the parents know that this particular boy one of the ways this boy had been abused by his biological family was that he was punished by um, being locked in his room without food for a weekend he would be allowed to use the bathroom um, and allowed water, but he would be not, not allowed to eat from Friday um, night until Saturday or till <sighs> Monday morning. Have you not heard me tell no, the story? I haven't heard you tell the story. I, I mean, uh. I, uh, but kids are smart and kids are resilient. And so this particular kid um, started to hide food. You know, during the week, you'd hide food up in your room. And of, of course. And uh, so the kid gets pulled out of, of that home, put into foster care, and then put into the home of some friends of ours. And, um, and what's the kid do? Well, the kid can be told, hey, you're part of a new family, and, and we're going to be great, and you know, but what's right. the kid going to do? He's going to not, he's going to hide food. He's, the kid's going to hide food. Yeah. And, uh, and suppose, suppose you were, and you, I mean, you listening, suppose you were uh, a parent of, of this child and you realized why the kid was hiding food. Would you be angry at the kid for hiding food? Yeah. See, I, I don't think you would be. I think you'd be grieved, which is why I think Paul uses such an interesting word when he says our sin grieves the spirit of God. You wouldn't be angry. You'd be angry at the parents, you know, who did this. You wouldn't be angry at the kid. And what you would say most likely to this kid is that you would say, listen, we will never, ever do this to you. You will never starve here. We will never, we will never punish you that way. We will, we, you're part of our family now. We will never do this to you. Now, if you're that kid, do you believe that? Nope. Nope. You still hide food. And if you're the parents, you let the kid hide food. The question is, how many hundreds, if not thousands of meals have to go by before that kid stops hiding food? Yeah. How many times does that kid have to be told he's loved and part of that new family before he dares to believe it's true? And so my brothers and my sisters, the process of growing into a new identity is not at all a straight line. It's just like this kid. It's so easy to hide food, to have these things that numb us out, to have these things that we think are innocuous, but are actually causing us to be less than fully human. And I don't think God's up there angry, ready to smite. I think God's mercy interrupts those things and gives us chances to turn and and uh, re- to, to um, reorient towards health. I think there are times when God allows us to be given over for sure. 
um, out of deep grief, um, out of deep grief. But I, I think the, the far better pictures of, of uh, an adopted kid into a new family, it's just going to take a lot of meals, a lot of healthy meals to realize I don't have to hide food anymore. And so the goal is never perfection, it's just progress, you know, is, is our heart more um, alive and, and more um, full of feeling than it was six months ago? You know, I used to keep track of how often I would do this and my goal would, you know, obviously be to decrease frequency and, and, you know, I, I'm just kind of weird that way. And that worked for a while. Pretty, pretty sure a lot of guys do the same thing. Yeah. And it worked for a while. But that didn't change the desires, you know, and that's what I, I learned. That was the, the thing I was after. Yeah. Um, was that I would become unnumb mm-hmm. and fully alive. And so um, what were you going to say before I before I start signing off? Oh, okay. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, there's so many other questions that, that come to mind. I mean, things I would even want to hear more about from you, like just what's the journey been with, with Justina, you know, along with all this mm-hmm. kind of going on, mm-hmm. like, I'd be curious to hear her voice and being a wife and having this on the other side, you know, how many wives are out there hearing this and they're just like, I just don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. You know, how do I hold it? Cause I'm not the one struggling. My husband struggles. So how do I, you know, right. kind of walk with him in this process? What does that reconciliation look like? I mean, that word to me, see, I like in, in regards, like my personal journey with this, the thing that hangs over my head is just, the relationships that have fallen apart and how they've fallen apart in the pendulum swing of this process because the history of of the the church coming into this and trying to create programs in which like you put purity up on a pedestal that doesn't bring you through this course of sexual uh, reconciliation that we're talking about mm-hmm. you know and it was that the you know one of my former relationships that was an incredibly important relationship for me i was on this pendulum of like purity and trying to like hold that line and mm-hmm. being like oh, I'm, I'm doing so much better and i, I don't want to like fall apart like in this in this thing but it was actually the very thing that broke our relationship was becoming this very coarse and rigid christian about holding that and completely shaming the whole sexuality in trying to hold purity mm-hmm. like that became like almost a a, purity, a, a church culture byproduct yeah you know of that and it was like i and because purity focuses just on your genitals too yeah exactly and so it's like that ah, i mean not all no and i'm not bashing the purity movements i just think that that as you're saying um they can be band-aids and yeah. not and not deep transformation yeah absolutely and it's it's kind of that's been you know even then coming into marriage it's just you know, it that's I've been challenged in ways in that same way because in my mind it's just kind of like the whole church culture narrative of sexuality has never been promoted. It's always been demoted, right. and so it's now it's like I, you know, I, for what it's worth, I mean, there aren't many pastors that talk well about this that help us to see sexuality in this wonderful thing that God has given us, and then how that plays itself out wonderfully and beautifully in marriage, especially for a lot of guys in my generation where we we kickstarted the internet and we were, right. the, we were like the Thank first you. exposed you're totally. welcome for that you know and it's like we're, <laughs> we're the first exposed now where we're just like well oh my gosh like how you know, we're in this crisis of like how do we really practice wonderful healthy sexuality while walking with this you know struggle you know that's there that's right um and uh that's you know it that's it's like the 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 shame part in my mind so much isn't the, the ongoing walk with it it's it's living in the those those former relationships that I feel so like 
Ah, you know, and it's like, and I feel like I can't get back to asking for forgiveness for those. You know, it's like, I feel trapped in those are, those are on my mark and chart sheet for like all of like what that thing has done to my life. Right. And, um, I mean, absolutely for me, the most compelling thing along the way is my kids and my children Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. my son Mm -hmm. and thinking about now, you know, not only is good fatherhood everything i wanted to be now it's like okay this is a part of myself and history i don't want that for him mm-hmm. and it's just we're you and i are so much significantly more informed because of this whole journey than my dad ever was oh my, of course you know and all my and Our like parents were prepared for this no way and it's funny i mean i went to like friends houses as a kid like in high school and like some of these dads like yeah had posters all up over their garage right, and all this right. kind of stuff and i'm just like i don't think my parents realized like my friend's dad is like <laughs> you know it, it just was yeah there's plenty of those circumstances you know and it's yeah. It's terrible in a way. I mean, porn, porn finds you, you know, yeah. that's, that seems so much more accurate. I mean, that's how it found me. I was walking home with my friend from lunch one day when I was like 12, mm. you know, and it was just like this grimy, gross, um, newspaper type of thing yep. that we found, Yep. you know? Yep. And it, it just, yep. It just ate away. Yep. You know? Yep. So dang. Yeah. Dang. Um, all right, well, I'm tired. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I always feel super vulnerable about this stuff and mm-hmm. I so I'm not going to I'm not going to respond to comments. I just am going to I actually had this thrown in my face when I was criticizing Trump uh about his comments um uh about uh you know when he was that Billy Price interview oh, yeah. or Billy Bean interview or whatever yeah. the guy's name is and I was critical of that and somebody's like well if we put your browsing history up in the world you know how awesome would you look mm. and i'm like mm, okay well yep. I, I didn't okay. realize i i forfeited any moral authority because i've i've struggled with this in the past but so i've just realized ah not everyone's not everyone's kosher with this so i'm not going to pay attention but um we really do hope um to some degree or another this is helpful um uh, our goal, as always, is to talk about anything. You know, that's that's our tagline. Our tagline for a church is safe to belong. Our tagline for a podcast is to talk about anything because we believe the church should be the place where you can talk about anything. So, my brothers and my sisters, obviously so much more to say. One of the great pieces of the, the neuroscience good news is that your brain can be rewired. Mm-hmm. Uh, the pathways that you've established can be undone and, and, and healthy ones can be reestablished. Um, and so there's this really interesting science now that undergirds spiritual formation that's fascinating. Oh, Christian Scientology. False. <laughs> False. Um, uh, no, no, just I go. I just prefer Scientology. Um, uh, so anyway, my brothers and sisters, uh, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord. Um, uh, I'm so thrown off. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord shine his face upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance to you and may he give you peace. Thank you for your support. We love you. Bless you. Bye. Hey, thanks for listening to the Vox Podcast. Learn more about us at voxpodcast.com. Follow us on Twitter at the Vox Podcast. And now support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash voxpodcast.